0: Yes, yes, welcome in to another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the homelonexpert.com studios. It's a podcast presented by Ryan Kelly, the homelonexpert.com, Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies, James Carlton, Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency, Johnny Landoff, Chevrolet, and Design Air Heating and Cooling, the number one train dealer in the Midwest. It's hard to stop a train. they online at designairservice.com. My name is Timothy Michael McKernan, and it is my pleasure to bring to you today Presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies, friend of the podcast, back for his, I guess you can say, annual appearance. We do this every August, even though it's kind of coincidental. Maybe it wasn't August last year. It might have been July. Either way, summer interview with Joe Buck. Uh, And so Joe um, came in and he said, you know, I've been thinking about this interview and I don't really know what we're going to talk about. And I said, eh, "I bet we'll wind up talking about some, some amusing stuff for about an hour and ten minutes." And you know, I suppose amusing is in the eye of the beholder. But uh, blues, Cardinals, golf—all things that you would think he would be talking about. Also, uh, his um, therapy sessions is where we started, and um, he played in the old Warson club championship like the top flight which Brett Hull won last year and uh, and played in the championship match and uh, and it's with him still because it's been a couple of weeks and it's with him and I tried to play the role of therapist and get him through through that uh, and, and for those of you who play you know how not only for whatever reason, something that impacts you in zero way financially, in zero way uh, status-wise. And by that, I'm not talking about, oh, look, now we can hang out uh, in, in Huntley. I'm talking about as far as like uh, getting to play like in a, on, a, on some kind of mini tour or tour. Uh, it's It's really essentially for pride and maybe a little pro shop credit. A minimal amount. Um, Why it bothers you when you lose, and then assuming you have a girlfriend, fiancé, or wife, how the girlfriend, fiancé, or wife has to navigate the mood swings that come with uh, wins and losses. It is something that is uh, near and dear to my wife's heart. Uh, Couldn't be more confused by it. Feigns interest, feigns interest. I admire her ability to feign interest. Um, it's it's such good acting that for about three minutes of the conversation when we're we're talking about it and she's asking a question, I'm like, Oh wow, Anna Marie is really interested. This is great. And then I start breaking down handicaps and uh and and I'm going, there's no she's such a good person that she's just humoring me with this because she's into yoga and has been an instructor before really good at it. Cause I'll go to class and it's just embarrassing. I'm falling all over the place. And she's like, and the instructor's like, look at what Anna Marie is doing. This is how you should do it. And if she were to go into like a five minute soliloquy on yoga, I think about three seconds in, I'd go, I would go, I got, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. It's great that you have something you love. I love that you love it, and I want you to enjoy it as much as you possibly can. However, eh. so there she is asking me about this stuff that I know she doesn't care about, and I tip my cap. But with Joe, he also goes into not only the match, but um, how his wife has worked uh, with him on the after effects of said match. And that's something that whether you're calling the World Series or the Super Bowl this year, uh, it will resonate with you if you ever do play any form of competitive golf. So Cardinals, a real straightforward, candid opinion from Joe on the trade deadline activity or lack thereof. Uh, reliving the Blues run. Um, and then also uh, who he's played golf with on tour and uh, the U.S. Open. And um, and then also we talked a little bit about... Uh, a variety of other topics. It's always good. I mean, it's just like, you know, we're just going to wander and that's kind of when I think we're both probably at our most, uh, most random. And, uh, and that's what you got here. So, I I mean, what does it matter? It's, it's Joe Buck. So like, what's the point of the intro, but I'm giving you an outline. So you know what's coming. Some people like that. And, uh, and there it is. Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies is the presenting sponsor of our guests each week. If you're just getting into the podcast, I should tell you, first off, please subscribe. Please like it. Please leave a positive review. It helps. I'm getting, I'm learning more and more about how and why it helps. Um, but I mean, we do, you know, I mean, we do work on these things to get quality guests every week. It is not uh, easy to do. And I don't want to make it like, you know, it's like hardcore manual labor, but to get quality guests and not just anybody in every week. So, you know, if you could, all we're asking is to support these sponsors who make it possible. And Mark Hanna presents the guests. And, um, I know Mark, I know Mark now for about a year and a half and I really think highly of him. And, uh, is one of the questions from the audience questions was, you know, as a parent, what is something that you will do with your children or child that you don't know if you necessarily learned as much as you should have when you were growing up. And I would say manage money. And that's where Mark Hanna comes into play at 314-889-0503 or go online at evergreenstl.com. His name is Mark Hanna. He's with Evergreen Wealth Strategies. He's a sharp guy. He's a good guy. And it's not about, okay, well, here's what I'm going to allocate into these stocks and here's what I'm going to allocate into these mutual funds. And here's what we're going to do with, cash and here's what we should do with your 401k. That's not what we're talking about. Sure, we can talk about it, but it's about getting you on the right path. Planning. What do you want? Okay. Well, now here's how we're going to get you there. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies three one four eight eight nine zero five zero three. Go online at evergreenstl.com We're broadcasting from the com studios. Ryan Kelly is the sponsor of the studios. Before we even started this thing, before we even knew what we would have, now I, because I am Uh, as self-important as I am, was like, of course the podcast is going to be good. Why wouldn't it be good? I mean, it's going to just be really popular and we'll get great guests. And now I kind of look back on nearly two years of it and go, wow, that was probably something that I should have thought through more. But Ryan Kelly didn't think through it. He said, I know that it's going to be good. I'm getting on board before you even do an episode. That's the kind of person Ryan Kelly is. And I know that he's somebody you want to do business with. He's online at the Ryan Kelly and his staff, whether it's you're buying a home or you're refinancing, they are the people to do business with at the Ryan Kelly, the sponsor of our studios where the great Joe Buck came in and we just BS. Ladies and gentlemen, Joe Buck presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Well Strategies. Joe, welcome back to the lab
1: good to be back is it I'm, i don't know i was thinking about it today that i feel like the last time we did this i just go on and on and on and it's very uninteresting
0: i felt like i was horrible last year i'm dead serious and i actually texted you that i said i talked too much my laugh which kind of reminds me of a more annoying version of eddie murphy's was prevalent and i was disappointed in myself and i told myself this year that's i'm gonna be better that's yeah. ridiculous that's how I, felt. I uh
1: i didn't feel that i felt and, and maybe this is just part of the reason why I just literally came from a therapy session uh, with my therapist. Uh, Let's talk about that it. Can I we d- talk about that? Sure, but I don't really have anything that's that interesting to talk about for that amount of time. I've got, I've got stuff.
0: I've got stuff. Well, start I, uh, start in. Well, what, what was going on with a the therapist? Is this a regular thing?
1: It's it's as regular as I can make it on Tuesdays. It's usually twice a month. There's It's every other week, but I miss... So many times just because I'm traveling mm-hmm. and, you know, it's my standing appointment, which I hand out to various family members when I'm not in town. And uh, I was in town, obviously, so I went. What are you working through? Um, I, I, just, I think I have a high level of anxiety that bleeds into depression a lot. Um, I think there's a fine line between the two, and I certainly am no expert on this, but I'm just an expert on how I feel. I think I worry a lot. I think I um, internalize a lot of that. I don't get a ton of sleep, which was kind of the majority of uh, our session
0: today. You have a today. problem falling asleep?
1: Yeah, I just no, I have no problem falling asleep. Staying I just, asleep? I yeah, I just don't get really deep sleep. So every day I could. I could be in bed, quote unquote, asleep for 12 hours and I would wake up tired. That sucks. Has this been a problem like for a long time? or is Yeah, anything? I was. I think it's been a problem since I was about 40 and I'm 50 now. So it's it's been a decade's worth of waking up tired, which now that I'm back in the mode of right, basically where you are with a child times two and 15 month old twins and chasing them around, which has been unbelievable uh, in a good way. But it's very tiring. And mixing that in now with my schedule, it's about to pick up. I think there's just a lot on my mind and I, I don't know if it's more physical. I think she and I, my therapist and I determined today that it is more physical with kind of a, a CPAP thing that I need. I've oh, got, you need some CPAP. Sl- yeah, I've got sleep apnea. I usually think of people who are
0: obese needing those things for a uh, sleep apnea, right?
1: Yeah, but it's not that. It's, okay. it's if you're kind of, I'm so stuff, stuffed up with my nose that I mouth breathe. And I think when I mouth breathe at night, I wake myself up. I don't think it's anything life threatening, but, and you can mark this for when I die in my sleep someday. Uh <laughs> You can bring this back out. Uh, I, I, I think it's more, I don't breathe well at night. Therefore, I never really get into deep
0: sleep. Does Isn't that, that exciting? Yeah, I follow you on this. Does Michelle hear you like, if I'm on my to- back?
1: No, if I'm on my back, I snore. If I'm on my side, I don't. uh But, uh, every once in a while, I'll get kicked in the leg or uh, shoved or yelled at uh, to to shut up. but she can sleep through a nuclear disaster and I can't sleep through anything.
0: That's how I am. My wife, she is up at all hours of the night reading. That's how she and she doesn't sleep and I feel terribly for her.
1: I, I just it's a terrible thing it's a real thing and everything wheels off that when you wake up tired it's a bad start to the day and then everything just grinds you down so that that gets back to what I said is it am I anxious is it depression or is it just exhaustion that leads to being anxious and kind of depressed it's, it's 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 a weird kind of formula that you have to piece together so, I've had nasal surgery since I last tried my CPAP machine. I'm going to try it again tonight. I will report back to you via text uh, in a few days to see whether I got better sleep, just to let you sleep uh, easier. (laughs) Yeah. Now, you
0: also had a medical issue, if I'm not mistaken, during the Blues run. Do you recall? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, that was classified at the time. Does it remain classified? Can we
1: un- yeah, I mean I don't know that again, I, I don't find this interesting at all, but it was
0: uh, we well, were on the radio and you said Tim and you so the audience knew I knew what had happened, but then the audience was like, oh is there something wrong with Joe? Yeah that's no. that's what of course was no. taken no. out of that. Was there was nothing plate. really wrong right. with me.
1: It was uh, it was like a hemorrhoidal issue, but it was it was not a hemorrhoid. It was something that uh, was festering. That uh, needed to be needed to needed some attention. That was was uh, Doc emmerich like verbs. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for that. Uh, (laughs) uh, So yeah, I got it taken care of, and that that was uh, that was an interesting time.
0: Was that a surgical taking care? of?
1: Yeah, it was like an in office visit, and let's just say uh, Lance paid me a visit.
0: All right, we're texting during the Blues run. How much
1: did you enjoy that? It was uh, it, it was beyond my expectations. I mean, I've been a lifelong Blues fan, and, and I'm no different than anybody else out there. I'm just another one of them. And I think we probably all have the same type story. I was introduced to it by my dad. Yeah. My dad and I spent many nights sitting on the couch watching, and he was jumping and reacting to to what is this great sport that goes end to end um and you go i think the beauty of it is you go from a scoring chance to hanging on for dear life within five seconds back down the other end so that's what makes it so fun and i i latched on to that and it was something that my dad was a huge fan of having been their original voice i think he understood hockey as life and the years went on more than he did when he was broadcasting Mm. um And so then I carried it forward with my daughters, and it was been a season ticket holder since I was in my early 20s, and it was something that I took my daughters down to, and so we all did that as a family. And as I've said before, it's the one thing that I can openly root for, and I have no shame in wearing whatever I can and and telling everybody that I'm a diehard blues fan, but again, I mean, I— it's no different than anybody else. I'm just somebody that has access to TV and radio, and I get to talk about it more than everybody else, and it, it probably drives people nuts, and, and nobody's uh, saying that I'm the number one super fan, but it was emotional, and I it, it dominated my mood. I mean, I felt like I was a kid again, because when I was a kid, if the Cardinals won... I went to bed happy, and I woke up happy yeah. because I would think, "Oh, what the Cardinals do last? Oh, they won, and I was happy. I and mean, if they lost, I'd go to bed mad, and I'd wake up and go, ah, oh, they lost last night. Lee Smith blew a save, or Bruce Sutter blew a save, and now you know that that set my tone for the rest of the day until they played again. And that left me early on in life that whole fandom kind of rooting because for you're stuff. broadcasting. I would imagine because you're had broadcasting, to play the role. and I think when you're when you're around the team, yeah." and you're on the charters and you see somebody blow a big game and then five minutes into the flight, the middle seats kick down, the cards are out, the meal money's on the table, they're laughing and drinking and having fun, you realize as a kid I care more about this stuff than they do. And and they can't care like we care as fans because they'd be paralyzed by failure and they couldn't respond to – to not getting the job done properly. I think they have to be able to flush it. That's what, that's what professional athletes can do. But we as fans don't. And so I, I think I saw that as a kid. I understood it. And then when I got into it as a broadcaster, as, as I started to do more and more national stuff, that just kind of left me. So to be able to tap back into that and feel like a kid again while the Blues were going on this run, which was unexpected, we've had better Blues teams that didn't win, uh, and to beat a boston team that was seemingly better really throughout every round of the playoffs to to beat you know really every team they did to get there was awesome Where were you when they won I was at Pebble so That's when they I knew you were out of town on yeah so you were getting ready for the US so Open So it was the next day it was day 1 so it they won on a Wednesday night and Dan O'Neill, who helps me with my golf uh coverage uh was out there and he and I were in my hotel room Formerly the postback Dan O'Neill? Yeah
0: Oh, I didn't know that he did that. Yeah, so, and
1: he's, you know, he's written books on the blues, and he has a theme song about the blues, and uh, so he and I were in my room drinking beers, uh, eating room service, and watching on uh, the TV at at whatever that hotel, the lodge at Pebble Beach, and screaming, and the doors were open, screaming and yelling. They probably thought there was a murder going on in there,
0: but uh, no, it was just the blues uh, dominating Game 7. The first, I'm telling you, 1st I realize at this point it's been like seven weeks, but the first 17 minutes or so. Dominated by Boston. Just ridiculous. And
1: Bennington, and I get it, Ryan O'Reilly from day one was, the I think, the whole atmosphere changer of that team, and we know the work ethic and how he is. I've talked to Maroon about how he was with the young guys like Robert Thomas and different guys that were coming up. All that being said, they lose game seven without Bennington. And and I I watched the highlights again three days ago because uh, I'm on the Blues app and if you go down you know a couple of rows you see the highlights from Game Seven and he watch it again with a little bit of separation between now and then and he go my God this guy stood yeah. on his head and and stopped point blank shots and on the road and just spit on these shots and and then eventually they took the lead and he kept playing great and it was two nothing and he had another unbelievable save kicking out his right leg mm-hmm. and then two seconds later it's three
0: nothing and that's when they won that that's that all hope of a comeback that was gone i had uh maroon was in here actually a couple weeks ago and i said we've had a debate cam jansen and reed low were screaming at each other in here cam said uh o'reilly should have been the con Smythe winner reed was insistent that it should have been binnington so i said to pat i said i know it's gonna be awkward i said but who do you think should have won con Smythe? Uh, O'Reilly or Bennington, he goes, I actually think it should have been Jaden Schwartz. And he goes, people forget how good he was the first couple series. I know O'Reilly went on a tear. He goes, it's not against O'Reilly or Bennington. He goes, I just think Schwartz was, and I guess when you think about Winnipeg and uh, the run that he went on. Yeah, I think it's easy to remember the last Yes, that's what happens with those of Smythes.
1: But, I mean, I think you could go back to Game 7 against Dallas and, you know, Maroon was the guy that got the winner in double overtime, but they're not there without more incredible saves and there were some golden opportunities Dallas missed that if one of those goes in where we don't have the ride of our lives don't have another month and a half of it no as as Blues fans so were you there for
0: game six against Boston
1: no, I was out of time. I was gone. already gone. I was, I was already gone. Yeah. Um, so I watched with Faxon, Brad Faxon, who's on our golf crew, who's from New England and is a huge Boston fan. Well, she watched with We watched it at the tap room in the lodge. Uh, I didn't even want to go, but he was having dinner with uh, a couple different players that were going to play that week. And I felt one of them was Fleetwood. And one of, I felt like if I didn't go, I was being lazy because I could actually meet. Fleetwood, get to know him a little bit, ask him some questions about and all I did was stare at the TV the whole time. And then they lost, and I'm listening to Fax and, you know, chirp. And Fax is not even paying attention. And, by the way, went to a party during Game 7 and – He's like, uh, I stopped watching after the first period. I was like, after the first period? Two-nothing game. It was a two-nothing game. You're not a fan. I don't want to hear one <laughs> thing you have to say about any of this. It was so, Tommy
0: Fleetwood watching game six? No. He, <laughs> he probably has le- no idea what the was going no,
1: on. No, he couldn't care less. Uh, but his caddy, Ian Finnis. Uh, an amusing character. An amusing, great guy. Mm-hmm. But I've never not understood somebody who theoretically speaks the same language I do. more. He's like... he's got the heaviest accent and i was just nodding he couldn't have been a nicer guy and he was talking to me about the blues and about the game and why i love it and he was great but i couldn't understand a friggin word he was saying
0: (laughs) who else was at this any other players of note at this dinner uh
1: no but jeff Shackelford was there who has been one of our Biggest critics uh, at golf. Oh, I didn't Fox know he golf. was one of your biggest critics. Well, he's one of the few guys that writes kind of a golf-centric TV column. The No
0: Laying Up guys get into that. They get into that. You've been on No Laying Up, I've been. Right? I've yeah. been
1: on that. They like us for yeah. some reason. Uh, Shackleford has never liked us uh, and took some shots at me. And then, uh, you know, I, I was in spots where if I were him and had taken shots, I would go out of my way to introduce myself. He didn't. And then we kind of he
0: kind of took shots, but then
1: he lurked. Well, we were in the same spot, and it was one of those where our producer was like, "No, I didn't know who he was." And uh, our producer, after he left a restaurant after he took shots at us after the Franklin Templeton thing, which was like our first event ever, and uh, we were in the same restaurant up in Tacoma before Chambers Bay or during Chambers Bay, and he kind of walked right past me, and our producer was like, "You know who that was." No, that was Jeff Shackford. Okay, so then we we actually got to know each other, and the guy, I, I bow down to his knowledge of golf, golf course architecture, all that, and we've become friends. So mm-hmm. I talked to him the whole time while watching the game. Faxon had his back to the TV, I think, and uh, so it, you know, it was it was a fun night, and it was I was glad I was there for no other reason to get to know Jeff better. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I I just I, I can't do so. I have
0: to just be all in i know i see i can't imagine watching a blue stanley cup final game and not being able to be to concentrate in- exactly like i'm too batshit about it yeah you
1: know? I, I i and it happened we were doing the women's open in uh south carolina and uh that was i don't know game two maybe game one i don't know what it was, it was boom one boom gunnerson uh
0: no it must have been game game one game one and game three there wasn't much no, of i think it was sweat. game five game five was the uh the missed call game ozak uh trip and then uh the goal yeah they... how do you remember all that i have a weird memory You'd really do. do you have to have a really good memory i
1: do not really i do not i uh my grandfather dealt with memory loss slash alzheimer's uh i seem to get every it's skipping a generation, as we G- I get every great. dad, trait I think, had a great characters. memory. Didn't oh, he? Unbelievable yeah. memory to the day he died. Yeah. But my grandfather, bald, uh, you know, decent athlete. I, w- I he was a great athlete. I I am semi-athletic, and I'm destined for the same fate <laughs> that he met. Uh, so I don't. I really do not. Yeah. I can't. I can't differentiate a lot of those moments, uh, one from the next.
0: Yeah, but Steve Horns right there.
1: Steve Horns, right. I I employ a lot of people and I pay well. <laughs> Dan O'Neill, Steve Horns. I had no
0: idea Dan O'Neill was doing. That. I had how was yeah. he doing from the beginning from Chambers Bay? Um, no, he
1: wasn't there. Maybe, yeah, I think he was. was he? I think he was there at Chambers Bay. So from the beginning, mm. and I, I've gone from having him there and me paying him directly to him being a part of kind of the Fox. Oh, that's great uh, broadcast. But uh, yeah, he's. Fantastic. He gives me notes during the broadcast. I mean, there's so much time you're on all day. And the thinking was to have somebody there in the press tent for when guys would get off the course and gauge reaction, you know, get some interesting comments that guys were saying. Because once you're in the booth and you're following shot by shot, you kind of lose the big picture. And you certainly have no idea what anybody's saying in the press tent Mm -hmm. after they get finished playing golf. So, it's it's a it's a good set of eyes and ears for us and, and for me in particular to have uh, really locked in on that and sending me texts during the game how'd during, you, during the broadcast.
0: How do you feel about the U.S. Open broadcast this year?
1: Felt great. You know? um, it was fun. It was I thought it was well covered. Um, I thought our crew did a great job. Our our director was awesome with the drone shots hanging off the cliff there at eight, and I think a lot of angles that. Even though Pebbles on TV every year, sometimes twice a year, even Jim Nance said when he came in, he's like, "Man, I've I've seen shots here, and he lives there. He's like, I've I've seen shots here that I've never seen on TV before, and you know, I I think he was genuinely appreciative of of the way we presented that really cool piece of land. So I I was really proud, and it it felt comfortable. You know, it's gone from hanging on from for dear life to okay I kind of get it to uh, you know the whole Brooks Kepka thing for me which was just
0: a just a brutal moment and we talked about that last year and I still say it wasn't that big of a deal and you think it's 50 million times worse than anybody else
1: well I, it it is when it's you Yeah, I, I don't think anybody's going to sleep at night thinking about that anymore but I think at the time it's just embarrassing it's 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 it felt like we just had a really good week, and the last thing going off the air was like, you know, it's like singing the national anthem and the last note is extremely flat. It's like it doesn't matter what you did going to that last note. All anybody's going to remember is the last note, and that that's how I felt. Like, I felt like I let our crew down by, you know, and I've talked about it a million times, trusting a card that was wrong. And that's on me, but uh, – it's double frustrating when it's not your total mistake. That's why I don't really like I, – I, I run everything through a filter, and that's why Steve Horn is who he is because if – if and, and he's a, a guy, for those who have no idea who we're talking about, you know who I'm talking <laughs> I, about. I I he's the smartest guy it. When, it it, really is. when it comes to history, government, politics, religion, medicine, yes, sports, but all that stuff. If he hands me something – I don't even have to look yeah. at it before I start in on it. It's right, and that's that's kind of the world we live in. It's just it's become more and more of a gotcha society, and it's a it's a high wire act. And and if you get a wrong card and you launch into it. It's it's you got to live it down. But you and Kepka now have since had quite a bit of fun. With we this. were we were good five minutes afterward. Yeah. I got his number from Faxon and texted him, and he laughed about it. And then we've kind of I had him to a baseball game, and he's he he's a great guy. Um, he's the great nephew of Dick Groat, which yeah, uh, right. a lot of people don't Little know. And yeah. uh, I mean, he comes from a really athletic family. And and you know, Horns told me a million times, Dick Grote was not only a two time World Series champion, one with the Pirates, won with the Cardinals, but played in the NBA and was considered one of the best athletes during the decade of the 50s in the United States. And and this is – and, and Kepka was in a car accident as a kid, and it's the only reason why he didn't go into contact sports, even really? baseball, because there, there was a head injury or something that happened that didn't allow him to do anything but play golf. And that's how he got into golf it's why I think at his core he's probably a football baseball hockey player but he takes whatever athletic god-given ability and and has applied it to golf and it's it's why he I think looks a little different than everybody else and you know he just looks more athletic and I, I don't think he really uh, gets intimidated by the big stage
0: have you uh, have you played with him
1: I've not played with Brooks I've played with a lot of those guys but Brooks I have not I um, I played in a group in front of his father this past June during the U.S. Open over at Cypress. Oh. His dad could not be a better guy. I uh, was actually sitting in the booth for part of the time uh, this year at Pebble Beach. And, you know, it's it's funny how one of those moments like I had with Brooks, with Jenna Sims, the girlfriend and all that, has led to kind of knowing him. Like I wouldn't otherwise have gotten to know him, and then now his dad and his family a little bit, and you just realize these guys are, are just, for the most part, good guys, great athletes, and and you don't really worry about too much. He didn't care at all about right. that whole thing.
0: Right. It, it was, you think there's something to him with the chip on the shoulder thing that it actually motivates him, and then he goes out and he just bombs. I think some
1: thing. of it's fake. I you part know like the, uh... like when he when he, we were doing the interview uh, at. Pebble and he said, You know, well, you guys didn't have me in your promos. Uh, and he was in every promo except <laughs> one that he saw from, you know, that was probably the same promo we've been running for five years. Mm. It was like, you know, it was Tiger and Phil and you're going to put the big, but it was just a repeat of an old promo. Otherwise, I mean, Kepka was on the side of the building at Fox. He was on a billboard. <laughs> so I think some of that is manufactured, but whatever works, I mean, keep doing it. If, if you're Brooks Kepka, let it roll and, and let everybody, let it feel like everybody's got it out for you and then just go kick everybody's ass, which is what he's done. You
0: say you have uh, played with a few of these guys. Who have you played with? And I'm just curious what your impressions are when you get a chance to see this up close and personal a- actually while you're playing with them.
1: Um, let's see. I've played with, I, you know, I've never played with Tiger. I've, I've played with Phil. Um, you have?
0: I have. What was that going? 100,000 a hole or what?
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It was at a charity event we didn't get into that but I did chip in in front of Phil. I was like this is the greatest moment of it my life. what was
0: his reaction? He was like,
1: "Oh, great shot." I'm like, "I'm sorry. Can you say that again? Let me get my phone out uh and say it again into it. I've been mean, I've played with couples, I've played with Pat Perez, I've played with uh Speeth, I've played with around Thomas. A lot of this is Cabo driven. Like yeah. Speeth is an is an owner down there. I did not know
0: he was down there. Really. Yeah.
1: Uh, now Fred's got a
0: new place down there right yeah Fred
1: is Fred of all the guys even to this day the most impressive guy that I've played with that you watch and I it's probably not a big surprise but Fred is still he hits it a mile and it's so beautiful to watch so fluid and not worried I don't think about his technical swing I think he's just kind of a feel player he's got that kind of Backswing that goes up, and his hands are high, yeah. and it's just like it's just beautiful to watch, it's like a left-handed baseball swing. It's for some reason it just, just looks better, mm-hmm. and he, he's the most impressive guy that that I've played with, considering age and everything else. Right. Absolutely. When I played with him, I mean, he he hits it as far as anybody.
0: Now you are fresh off of something that I want to spend a good amount of time on the club championship. Why nobody cares? <laughs> nobody cares.
1: I did make it to the finals. That's at, impressive. At the old Morrison. That's that's a gone. I, I did. I you played had to beat Brett Hall, defending champion. I played uh, probably. The th- I played and beat the three of the best, if not the best, golfers to get to the finals. Um, a guy named Eric Kittner was the last guy I beat in the semifinals. Hull in the quarterfinals, and then the first guy I beat was Tim Collins, who's right from this neighborhood and is a young guy and played college golf. And I walked into that like. I got no chance and I just everything I putted which is where we'll end up Mm -hmm. went in so I I made I don't know six or seven birdies that day and I was you're playing as like
0: a three right now two three yeah
1: yeah and he's probably a scratch or a little bit better and I I just beat him because everything went in Mm -hmm. and then I beat Hall because I wasn't scared of him and then I beat Kittner because I you know shot one under on the back and Played really well. And then I get to the finals against one of my best friends, Harry Freeman, who I had beaten the week before. We kind of turned it into like a – I knew I was going to play him. And I was – I don't know. I won like four up or something. (laughs) And then when it all counted, I three-putted my way around the golf course and and lost.
0: What went on, you think? Just off that day?
1: No. I I think I just wanted it too much. And I think I've spent so much time on my swing. I just need a new plan on the greens and putting. But I – I was really proud of two things. One, getting there, and, and I—that's a huge it's, accomplishment. It's, I know you
0: can say nobody cares, but for those of us who care about golf, that's a big deal, especially
1: there. Yeah, I mean, and nice... I thought I would never be in that position, um, and I was in that position. And then I think I wanted it too much. I think I wanted my name on that wall as some sort of validation of my golf game. Uh, but I was—I was genuinely happy for my friend, and—and that—that uh, feels in a loss. That's. The best way I can look at it, because I was down five after twelve, I was down four after thirty. Then everybody starts showing up, and then I made this big comeback, and I hit a shot on sixteen that was the shot of my life with a sixteen's par three. Par no, that's the par five. Par five. Okay, all right. So i I hit my drive a little right up in the right rough. I was laying up down to the bottom of the hill, and I caught the bottom of a tree branch, and it hit and stopped. And I was uh, like two playing two thirty. Across the water Mm -hmm. to the back right pin, uh, and I hit a rescue to 10 feet, and the place went nuts. I won that hole now, all of a sudden, I'm only down one after
0: all the all these are you and Harry talking at all? Oh, yeah,
1: yeah, we're having a blast.
0: This is this is Phil and Tiger pay per view. This isn't,
1: but better. (laughs) That (laughs) that was the most boring thing I've ever seen in my life, uh, so. Yeah, we're talking, having fun, but both of us really want it. He's never been in the finals. I've never been in the finals. But all of a sudden, I'm down one, going into 17, which is the 35th hole, mm-hmm. and I'm charged up. I hit a six iron on the par three right to the middle of the green. He pulls his left off the green. I'm like, theoretically, if I two-putt this, I'm even going into the last hole after playing the some of the worst golf putting-wise, best golf of my life hitting-wise. I'm, I'm even going into the last hole, and... I two putt for one of the rare times of the day, and then he gets it up and down. And he made a I don't know six seven footer to to stay one up, and it was a clutch putt. And I was I was like, all right, if he wins it, he won it right there. Yeah. And and you got to kind of tip your cap. Yeah. And he walks up to the tee, like, if I miss that, we probably don't... don't even play thirty
0: six holes. Yeah. You know,
1: I want I have no chance to even get this ball in the air. And but he made it.
0: And he won by one. So from a standpoint, like, psychologically, he would have been— He
1: would have been a mess. Yeah. And and we've talked about it a million times, and everybody was like, oh, my God, if he misses that putt. And I, I really didn't even watch. I kind of walked to the next tee because I, I didn't I didn't feel good rooting against him. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I left. I probably should have hovered, like, in his peripheral vision just to be like, I'm still here. I haven't gone away. You're about to blow this. But I just got out of the way, and he made the putt, and—
0: everybody lives their life so i'm curious on this first how many people are watching because you said there were a lot of people watching hey
1: we were out of carts so i don't know wow uh,
0: well over 100 yeah that's impressive now you've called god only knows how many world series you probably do know god only knows how many super bowls i can't imagine 21 it, and 5 21 and 5 thank you very much um that really when it gets down to i'm sure you get amped up and you talk about you know having anxiety and thinking and that's I got the same thing going, but I would imagine you're not nearly as nervous for Super Bowls or World Series as you are for the final. Typically, typically I would have been unable to
1: pull the club back, but for some reason that day, the more people that showed up, the better I played. Yeah, that's, that is, that does correlate to your surge, which is stunning to me because there's some like fear of failure. There's some, you know, you're going to be found out as a fraud. You're not that good of a golfer. And, you know, that little voice in your head, like, don't miss it. Don't miss it. And I think some of that was going on on the greens. And the greens were extra fast. And I was not used to that speed out there. And I kept putting, I kept getting above the hole. And I was, which is death, dead there. coming down. I was yeah. just gagging it down the hill. And that was my undoing. But as far as full swings and hitting the ball, I, I, can't go back when the crowd was at its biggest i was at my best and i, I, I was excited to be i was like i can't wait to show them a good shot How which is that? not typical me
0: hope you're enjoying our conversation with joe buck here on the tim mckernan show presented by mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth strategies we're in the home loan expert.com studios and james carlton is a sponsor who has been with us from the very beginning as well And now I am a client of James Carlton's 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. You say, Tim, you're doing a commercial. Why are you so excited about your insurance agent? I say that's a great question. Thank you for asking. It gives me a chance to address it because his customer service is in another stratosphere from anybody else's. He's online at carltoninsurance.net. We have unfortunately dealt with some things where we had to use our insurance agent. And, uh, and James was on top. Of, James was actually, for lack of a better term, the aggressor. And by that, I mean he was the one initiating content and making sure, contact and making sure that we were on top of our various bills or when it came to our basement and the flood damage we had in March. I mean, he captained that. It's just, you know, I just, I just don't know what we would have done without him. And that's, that's the best endorsement I can give. And I'm so happy we made the switch because that was a tough time. Anybody who's been through it with the rain we've had in St. Louis this year, I'm sure a number of you have, you know how much you rely on your insurance agent. Well, if you have James Carlton, you are ahead of the curve. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton State Farm. So I'm playing, I played a lot with Edmonds at spring training and he talked about how he gets really nervous with golf. And I said, okay, when you were standing at Fenway Park for Game 1 of the World Series in 2004, you're nervous. He goes, God, no. I wasn't even really thinking about anything. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, why is it for this game where guys who have done it, in Jim's case, borderline for my money away, Hall of Fame potential, but then the game of golf, even if you're playing like in front of 5, 10 people, it can yeah. it can eat you up.
1: It's weird, but I, I think there's I think we all have a, a bigger ego than we realize, and I nobody wants to play poorly or feel like they're embarrassed. And whether it's you doing this or me doing a World Series or Jim playing in a World Series, that's what you do. That's what he does. That's what I do. Yeah. And when you're on stage like you are in those other moments, but now you're doing something that isn't yeah. your deal, it's fear of failure. And it's it's fear of embarrassing yourself. At least it is for me. And I, and I know what Jim's talking about. I mean, and I've talked to Freddie Couples about that to go back to him. About, you know, what's it like being at Augusta and being at, you know, on the 12th tee and, you know, you've got the thing in your hands and you've wanted this so badly and how, isn't it hard to pull the club back? That's the beauty of golf to me. And that's always been my, my desire when doing golf, like lay out and let the guy select his club, walk up just in total silence and let's see that club start back and hear the club meet the ball like that. That's the beauty of golf on TV in 2000, whatever, 19, even 2010, with the audio and mm-hmm. the video and the way that looks and sounds. That's the for anybody that plays golf. That's the cool stuff. What did couples say about that? That guy always had the he reputation said he's, just he's being like, the coolest. He's guy. like, what do you mean? I said, <laughs> there's the answer. Right. I expect. I said, you know, like the things in your grasp, and you're at the iconic 12th and you're an amen corner and everybody's around you and a national television audience. And how, aren't you just overwhelmed with nerves before you take the club back? I no. know. And I was like, okay, well then there you go. That, I right, couldn't let's put out here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, that's just the way I think people are wired. That's why he's successful mm-hmm. at what he does. That's why I can do a world series. That's why you can do this. That's why Jim can, act and react the way he typically does because he's comfortable and mm. and it's all about comfort yeah i agree
0: with that i just i, I, I,
1: I mean you... i've played in the at&t i played at tahoe i'm going to play again next year i've been i've been out for a while and i've played terribly at, at tahoe and i played well i finished i think tied for 15th the last time i played this is the event that romo's won the last couple of years? Yeah, yeah that that celebrity yeah. golf event so i'm going to go back in this next july and see how i do but i I want to do so well, it becomes self-defeating. And that's what it was for me in that club championship. I think I'll be better the next time, I hope. But really, does it matter? I It's not that's the what thing. we do. It doesn't do. matter,
0: but then I explain it to my wife, and I'm just like, for whatever reason, it's something I care about. I have no idea why. I have no idea why. I don't either. And it's it's
1: ruined my mood for the last month, and I'm I'm not being funny. I mean, like, I think about it. It gets into my head. At different points of the day. Like had I won that, nothing I feel changes. Like nothing but changes in feel my great. life. But I feel great and I feel like I've I got my name on that wall. And anybody who's having lunch up there looks at the list of past club champions, and it doesn't matter what I do in golf going forward, I have that on my belt and I I, I blew it. That, so that that that's hard for me. How did
0: Michelle manage you that
1: evening? She was great. I mean, she's like, Okay, let's talk about this.
0: She worked through, even though probably internally she's She's like, like, "This is the dumbest." Craig,
1: give me a fucking break! I don't want (laughs) to listen to this for one more minute. But she brought the boys up uh, for the stretch drive of that thing, and that's again when I played probably my best golf. And she was there for the back nine, so the last nine holes of 36. And it was good having her up there. I thought maybe that would make me nervous. It didn't. But the whole time, you know, like that night, the next day, I said something to her two days ago, and this is a couple weeks old. I'm mm-hmm. like, God, if I just putt like a beginner, I win this thing. She's like, Are we really back on?
0: <laughs> so her she, patience she's
1: on this from, expired. okay, let's talk this out, let's talk this through to will you shut up and if you bring this up again, I'm gonna punch you. And she has
0: every reason yeah, I
1: know, I to punch I, me I've if I bring it up again like nobody cares. <laughs> and uh and yet it is
0: I chew on it every day. How have you become? Have you gotten tips from like, like Faxon? Like I'm watching Faxon videos on YouTube about putting. I mean, yeah. you got a guy there with putting. I'm, and well, like that's going to be survive. my next thing
1: because I've been, as I said, so worried about my swing. I think I got my swing where I want it. It's just putting. So he's like, We'll we'll handle the putting thing." So but you I, talked
0: to Faxon about it? You I did. Yeah,
1: I talked to Faxon about it before I played. He, I, he brought me. Uh, for my fiftieth, this Scotty Cameron proto putter that is unbelievable. I don't know what the thing's worth, but it's it's basically one of a kind. And uh I I you know, I it's not the equipment, it's in my head and my hands. Yeah. And that's that to me is a hard thing. Like I need a plan. And I don't have a plan on the greens. I'm just kind of wishing it into the hole, and that's—I don't, I don't think that works. I watch his videos.
0: I'm trying to get something like that too, and I just—I still haven't been able to find a drill or some kind of. I have played with plan. him a
1: million times, and it's so fun to watch somebody that's that good at putting. And and he would—if he, he was sitting in here right now, I tell you, he—he he doesn't hit it far. He doesn't—he can slap it all over the place. He played at St. Louis Country Club a couple of weeks ago. We we were in uh, separate groups, but all together. And a friend of mine that's a golf instructor played with him. He's like, I, it just was unbelievable. He hit it all over the place, didn't hit it far. And then at the end of the day, because he's so good on the greens, he was four under. God. And and he's like, I would have thought he shot eighty. The way he felt, the way it felt playing with him. And then he started adding it up, and he go, the guy's four under because he doesn't, he never three putts, and and most of his putts go in. God, it's
0: amazing. I wonder what that's all
1: about. I I don't know. Um, he's just got. I putted for him that day, and he's like. I like that. You got your right arm, your right elbow bent. You've got a good angle. I'd like to see you be a little bit more athletic over the ball, but that looks good. That was his thing, and that was a week before I played yeah. in my match and uh it, it wasn't that. It was more mental and kind of yippy more than anything. Yeah, well, but whatever. This is the,
0: people no chance anybody's still listening I if they started. I guarantee you people are listening to this. I guarantee we have this thing on our show. We have this Facebook. Page. Are you still on Facebook? No. You got rid of it. I I'm theoretically I'm on it. But okay, I don't know if ever like deleted the, the account, on Instagram uh-huh. sparingly, on Twitter sparingly.
1: I, I've never. I don't think I've ever been on. Oh yeah, sorry. I, I I I'm never on Facebook, ever. Okay, all right. It still exists, I guess. It I know does. there are fake accounts that people are like, "Is this you? Would that really put that picture of me up as as me?" Uh, No, that one's <laughs> fake. Uh, Instagram, I have a private one. I think there's a public one from when I did my book, but I don't ever check that. Okay. And then Twitter, I send it to a publicist; they tweet it out. I don't even
0: look. Not at even it. doing not, hardly any more tweets. No, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's. I feel like occasionally, like you'll binge, and then you'll go back.
1: Yeah, but it's been about a year since I know. I've
0: binge because I went to the t- I went to your timeline. I'm like, I don't remember Joe tweeting recently. And it's like, Yeah, it's been like a, like three in the last couple months. Yeah, um, I just I don't see the point. I,
1: yeah. I don't. I don't when you and I did it. that
0: podcast week, we had Costas on, and he goes, "Well, what's the upside for me to do this?" And I'm kind How of. How many
1: people have gotten in trouble on Twitter?
0: Destroyed their careers. Destroyed their careers, and I think, and and we've probably
1: talked about this on here or elsewhere. That I think when it's on your phone, it feels really personal, and and if you send, it's like sending a text mm-hmm. to a buddy, and you go, "Ha ha," you you do something, and it's it's flippant or it's sarcastic or whatever, and then. You start realizing how people can take it. You might as well grab, as, as Horn has told I me, mean, you might as well grab a microphone and sit on Fox and national TV and say it. Because if you say it on there and it's out there and it's weird or it's borderline funny or uh, insensitive, you're dead. Mm-hmm. And and that's just its kind of the world we live in yeah. these days. And uh, it's, it's just, it's its not worth it
0: for me. There's no upside. That's the thing. There's no upside. There's I would love no to do it.
1: Right. Trust me. I would love to, you know, post clips of movies or have, you know, thoughts that I random and I I would go through stretches. But then I would gauge the reaction and it'd be like, oh, this they don't even get what I'm saying or
0: fuck you you hate the Yankees right. or yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, and then why you read that it's this? like why did I do this? You know, why I'm am miserable. I checking it? <laughs> um so I I I just don't no, I mean, it. I feel like, and I said this earlier, it's more of a gotcha society, and and at least on social media, than it's ever been. And when you get clickbait, you know, that's why, you know, I'd do anything for you, but I'm starting to evaluate why I would go on, you know, whatever, W-E-E-I in Boston.
0: or why I would, Francesa? Oh, no, that's a W-F-A-N.
1: F-A-N, any of those. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be interesting at all, you're probably going to say something that is going to eventually turn into clickbait and I've done it. I've been burned by it. That's why, that's why I don't really look at Twitter because when I do see stuff that people take most likely the wrong way, or they don't understand my job as a national broadcaster instead of the same type voice they hear all year long, I get it. I understand it, but I want to, I want to go, well, that's not, That's not right. That's not my job is not to be there to only do the game from your vantage point. I have to do it from both sides. Mm -hmm. I mean, I people in St. Louis think I hate the Cardinals. We've gone through this a million times. And that's because I'm not doing the game as my dad. I'm not doing the game as how I started, which was, hey, we need a triple play here. I would never say I Mm -hmm. can't say that. So you have to do it from the vantage point of you know, Switzerland that, that has no rooting interest and you you kind of live and die by those reactions. And if you let that stuff get into your head,
0: you, you'd never open your mouth again. You do follow the team closely. I'm curious, because 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 you're not doing the games, you're in a position to be, ah, this is what I really think and I don't really care because I don't have to worry about anybody giving me any uh, negative feedback for it. When the trade deadline came and went and the Cardinals didn't do anything, your reaction? I'm stunned. That's where I was too. I'm glad to hear you say that. I had a feeling you're going to say that. I I thought
1: if nothing else, they would do something just to say, "Hey, we did something," because they haven't done a thing, and right. Years. And and the pressure has been on. You know, this that's a bad division. Nobody really is that good in in the central, so it's there for the taking, and they may still win the division, but I I don't think they stack up with the better teams in baseball. I don't think it's even close because the rotation is what it is. They've had injuries that they've had to deal with. Uh, Carlos Martinez right out of the gate, Reyes again. Um, Flaherty has shown flashes of utter brilliance now here in the last couple of starts yeah. or two of the last three or four Hudson, uh, you know, looks like he might be running out of gas. But but they need one, maybe two starters to have a legitimate chance. But, but you're going to give up a lot of your farm system. I don't know how well regarded a lot of their prospects are. But you felt like they needed to do something, if nothing else, to send the message to the team that, hey, we're behind you and go get them. And it just was obviously nothing happened. But they're on a long list of teams. You thought the Yankees would pull Yankees. something off. Their pitching is not very good despite all these wins. Um, but, yeah, I, w- I was
0: shocked. There's a there's a frustration in St. Louis, and I don't know how aware of it, I suppose, you, you would be with your responsibilities. Between the fan base and the organization that I thought might, once Mike Matheny was fired, a lot of people put it on him, and I always kind of look at that. I'm like, I'm not so sure how much he deserves blame for what's gone on in, in 16 and 17 and then the first half of 18. And the frustration is still there now. And it used to be, oh, they're not spending money. Oh, Matheny's a terrible manager. Now I feel like the bullseye is on the front office. It was already there, but then in particular when there was a lack of activity at the trade deadline. And so there's a real... And I don't know if it's it's similar to politics where we think it's a bigger deal because we see social media or if it really is there. But, I mean, you got to go back to the days when you were calling games for the Cardinals for the last time for them to miss the postseason this many years in a row if they miss it.
1: Well, I think the, the big... Uh, fallacy that maybe younger fans have, and I know there are a billion older fans that certainly remember, but I grew up, I was old enough to remember what that stadium, Old Bush Stadium, looked like in the 70s. It was empty for the most part because the teams were no good. Mm-hmm. And then by the time I was doing those games, it was Joe Torre. You know, Whitey had been gone for a few years. Joe Torre was the manager. Players were coming and going. The roster wasn't very good. Eventually, Anheuser-Busch sold the team to this group and then they took off you know they had i thought the right general manager they certainly had the right manager they had a willingness to to spend and and bring guys in and then that's seemingly changed over the last handful of years i'm with you i mean i i thought back in the day and i've been very open about this and mike even knew this mike Matheny, who i've always loved as a as as a guy as as a as a friend I thought when that spot was open and it went to him, I thought it should have gone to Francona. And I was very, you know, I was kind of pushing him on Mosealoc. And and when Matheny came in and I saw him take to that role, I was like, I was wrong. I mean, this this was the right guy. He's a St. Louis guy, the Cardinal way, all that other stuff. And, and then it started to sour. But I think whether you're managing or I'm managing or Connie Mack is managing, you're only as good as what you have. And I think when you go in and you don't have – I don't think Mike really had a cleanup hitter. I don't know that he had a number one, real number one guy, real closer by the end, I'm talking about, that, uh, you know, you're not going to win a ton of games. And it's going to make you make decisions in your bullpen that look terrible because you're always trying to make up for something you don't have. And so now here they are, and and they, you know, unfortunately Hicks got hurt, and they don't really have a closer. Um, and Hicks is young, you know, you didn't know going in, uh, Miller's been hit or miss yeah. and, uh, you know, Zuna got hurt. Molina got hurt. As I said, the other guys in the rotation, they have some holes to fill and I just, I don't know how they're going to fill them. Eventually they're going to have to just buy somebody. I mean, Garrett Cole's the guy coming into going into next year, but they're, they're going to be a lot of teams after Garrett yeah. Cole and they're going to have to outspend some teams that they you know, in the recent past, haven't been willing to outspend.
0: The thing that I think is concerning for fans is you look at some of the players that were identified as core players that have since been traded away and then had success with other organizations, players that have brought been brought in as supposed cornerstone players who then have not lived up to expectations, and then looking ahead going, okay, if it doesn't happen this year, look at all of the dollars that are committed for next year. There isn't a whole lot of room to add because there are a lot of commitments. Right. Um and I think people are going and then they go, okay, now the farm system's not as strong as it was. Where is this organization? Is it at a is it at a crossroads? And at the same yeah, time. Yeah, but I
1: think that's nor- I think that's natural. I just think the Cardinals have been so good for so long. You know, you start seeing some of these other teams. Houston is is the most loaded team in recent memory, but they went through, you know, hundred oh, yeah. lost seasons and they were willing to strip it down and then get number one picks and 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 build it up. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to work, but it worked. Mm-hmm. And they're they're loaded. And then when they seem to need somebody, they have the prospects to go get them. That's the big difference that mm-hmm. that I see. Yeah,
0: Grikey this year, uh, early under 2 years ago, or, yeah, and then they were they actually did get Harper uh the deadline last year, but then the uh, Nationals right. owner So I mean, it. they they have the they have the
1: ability. They've got a great owner. Uh Jim Crane. Mm -hmm. They've got uh, a really great GM who was here. They've got a terrific... I think the best manager in the game that combines kind of the analytics with the feel. He kind of flies under the radar for as much success as he's. I I thought he won them the World Series when they won a couple of years ago because their bullpen was a mess. Uh, Their closer was done. And he was just riding the hot hand. And I guarantee you there were multiple times that the analytics department were saying, this guy's got to get out, his curveball doesn't work against the Yankees or his curveball's not going to work against uh, whether it was McCullers or yeah. Peacock or different guys coming out of their bullpen. And he just said, this guy's – this is my best opportunity. This is my best guy right now. I'm going to ride him. And and he, I thought Hinch won them the World Series by what he didn't do, which was just do what the Dodgers do, which is just – analytic it to death and just keep bringing guys in bringing guys in eventually the more guys you bring in somebody's gonna have an off night and and you're gonna pay for it and and i that's what i love about aj hinch so they've got they've got it all in houston and and the cardinals i think their their farm system is is dry at the upper levels for the most part and uh they've suffered injuries and haven't been able to and they've had a lot of the same guys you know a lot of clutter that that you don't have defined roles with anybody and there seem to be like 10 outfielders, right. but none of them really step forward uh, and, and grab a hold of anything and say, you got to play me. I mean, I forget the other, the other two spots figure out, but you got to
0: play me. And, you know, that's, it's just been going on for the last few years. The thing that's so weird, are the last three championships we've seen in St. Louis and you were on the call for 06 and 11 and then the Stanley Cup, if you would have said a few months out from those championships, these teams are going to win world championships, you'd go, well, absolutely not. The 06 Cardinals, the 11 Cardinals, the right. 19 Blues. So I feel like... You hold on to the shot of the the five well, percent chance. I, think I guess. They, yeah, and I think they have a number
1: one. I think Flaherty's a number one yeah. starter. I really
0: do. Yeah, I he's think been this, sick the last month. His
1: stuff is that good. So that that's a guy they get credit for developing. And uh and and he's I think a front end of the rotation guy. He just didn't have a great first half. And so, yeah, I'm with you. I, the O4 team was yeah. loaded and was, I thought, the best team in baseball. But the Red Sox coming off four in a row against the Yankees, down three games to nothing, they could have played anybody and they were going to beat them.
0: And you were, of course, cheering for the Red Sox Correct. during that. yes, absolutely. During that entire podcast. Uh,
1: yeah, So, but then they went in 6 with a lesser team, and they went in 11 with a team that squeaked in. But those are the fun stories, and mm-hmm. the same with the Blues. So, yeah, they've got a guy that in Flaherty, and they could probably mix and match behind him that if they get in you don't know but uh some things are going to have they they're going to have to get a hell of a lot more consistent
0: uh I want to touch on parenting here cuz I'm legitimately curious about this you you have a daughter is 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 Natalie in New York still She's in New York acting. Trudy is Trudy is
1: about to be a sophomore at, at USC. USC
0: and then you have your two young tykes who are about at nearly a year and a half I'm correct Yeah. Coming up on it. I mean, they're 15 plus months. So how is, how is, how is this, this is a diversified portfolio.
1: Yes, (laughs) very much so. Uh, it's, it's been great. It's tiring. Um, I mean, I'm 50 and, and twins is a real deal. I mean, it feels like there's like there's four of them running around and it's hard to do it by yourself. So it does take the proverbial village to, to raise these kids. Um, it's been the best thing that's ever happened to our family. It's been the best thing that's happened to my daughters because they now get to see what it takes to to raise yeah. kids. and they are over the moon in love with these little boys. and they Blake and Wyatt. Blake and Wyatt, and they, you know, I, I think they were threatened initially by me saying that Michelle was pregnant. It's a lot for them to handle. It's a normal reaction, uh, according to everybody I've talked to, therapists and other parents who have been through this before. And they all said they can be as uh, anxious about it and as upset about it as they want to be. But the minute those boys are born, it's going to all flip. And it flipped and it's been nothing but like love and wanting to be around them and tears when they leave because they don't want them, you know, growing up, not thinking about them because they're both way out of town. So it's been unbelievable. And I've seen Michelle just grow as a mom and my girls get to see Michelle as a mom. And it's, it's just been a great, it's been a great experience.
0: How tough is it to have your daughters on either coast?
1: I'm proud of them. I'm proud of what they're both doing. Um, Natalie is, is really a talented performer, be it acting, singing. uh, Oh, I didn't know she sang. Yeah, she can sing. She's kind of one of those people that, if she ever does show up on a a real show and then one time she'll sing and be like, God bless. I had no idea she could do that. She's just go back to when she was a, yeah, she she could always sing. And then, uh, my youngest is just tough and, uh, youngest daughter and wants to be a director and got into USC and, uh, really is thriving. And, uh, you know, they both have boyfriends that I love and feel like they're part of the family. So it's, we're really lucky that uh, that they are who they are and um, they make me proud every day. No, that's incredible.
0: So do you get a chance to, do they come back? Yeah, do you, do they go come back a lot. They, yeah. I
1: mean, I think that's what St. Louis does. I think it's hard to totally leave yeah. St. Louis. It's just such a nest for everybody that grew up here. So they always are coming back and I love that. You know, I, I feel like I'm here when, waiting for them to come back, like waiting by the front door, like a dog. But, uh, that when they do, it's, it's just awesome.
0: I wonder about, I mean, I'm 42 and having a one-year-old, almost two-year-old at this point, And just like, but I mean, I would, I don't, I think, I don't think I'd have it any other way. Now we didn't have a choice because we had difficulties getting right. pregnant, but I love it. And then some people are like, Oh my God, what's it like to be an older parent? And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I'm 42. I don't really think anything of it. Does that it does me because I've already... But I you feel always like said I, your dad was like an older dad. You oh, know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I
1: mean, I will definitely get the which one's your grandson <laughs> question uh, when they're in fifth grade. But, <laughs> but you were a younger parent, relatively speaking. Yeah, with, I was in daddy. my late 20s, yeah. um, so I was a younger parent. I, I've always been close with my daughters, like best friend close, and I feel like I'll be that same way with the boys just later on in life, and I it doesn't intimidate me except that I kind of know the ending of the movie a little bit. I know how hard it is and I know the whole school thing and the homework part and the, what do you mean by that?
0: You know, the end of the movie, the type I of. just
1: think it's, it's hard raising kids. And I think when you, when you see them kind of get out of high school, there's this change in this metamorphosis where they go to college and they become young adults. And that's when they really kind of take on a lot more responsibility. But up to then, You know, I hold my breath at night when they go out. I don't go to sleep until they come home. I, you know, back to the sleep thing. So I, I, that's a real thing for me. I worry and I worry about them and their safety and their health and their all that. And, you know, like I've said, when I do my children's hospital event, every one of us as a parent is one MRI or CAT scan away from your life entirely changing. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think about that with them. And now I think about that with two more and... Uh, there there are a lot of traps out there and avoiding those traps and walking the right line is is really hard to do as a parent and as a kid, I think more so now than it ever
0: was. I worry about kids dealing with social media. That's what I, because we both have dealt with it, you times a billion from what I've dealt with, but I'm just like, God, I can't imagine my son. Imagine I think that's a real thing. Yeah. And like, there's like a lot like the of bullying pressure. Is like passive aggressive social media. Like, look at the picture of us. We're all here. And then you're not. Exactly.
1: Yeah. That's a hard thing. And I think. I think it's something that I'm sure any therapist that's listening to this would say, yeah, that's something I deal with a lot because you feel, your kids feel left out. They feel like, you know, why am I not there? Or I didn't get as many likes on my photo as yeah. my friend did. Or how many followers do I have? And it's, it's I it's not like that. I don't like It makes me. <laughs> excuse me. Yeah, it's, it's, sorry, it is pretty scary, that part of it. I wonder if that all is going to. If it becomes less cool when these kids now right, are... know that their grandparents are on Instagram <laughs> right. or on Twitter or on Snapchat right. or whatever, it becomes less cool. They'll yeah, like, find I'm a new platform
0: that. to keep us off of it. That's, what, that's what's mm-hmm. going on. Uh, final thing here. I, you always seem anytime we're on, we, we, have, we talk about what, what the next play is. You aren't doing the uh, interview show anymore, which I loved. Dan Patrick is now doing that for you. Do yes. you miss that at all? No. No. I had I, a feeling you're going to answer that.
1: Because it felt like it was kind of
0: like formulaic in the sense that it was the same. It was.
1: I mean, I, and I'm this isn't sour grapes because I, you know, I walked away. I, I, I felt like once the boys were born, going out there for a month, one of my 12 months, two weeks at a time, and doing two seasons of that in one year was too much. Yeah. And they wanted to continue doing all that. And I felt like we got out of it. I got out of it what I wanted to get out of it. We did 50 of them. And did you do 50 of them? Really? I didn't know yeah. I did 50. Wow. And and I felt like I eventually, by the end of 50, I was asking the same questions, and it was just kind of plug in the new guest and rinse and repeat. And when you do a show like that, it's really only as good as how it's edited, or it's only as good as how the guest responds to that. And these were three-hour interviews that we were sitting there that were getting cut down to one hour yeah. a night. Um. I, I felt like it was time to move on. I'm glad they got Dan. I uh, I quit as everything, producer, and I, I just— Vince I, Vaughn's still in it? Vince Vaughn's still in it, Peter Billingsley. Yeah. Um, and they're both friends for life, but it just was too much, so yeah. I, I don't miss that.
0: So you have, of course, golf, you have baseball, you have football. Are you looking to do more? We've got another
1: project? No, I think I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing about the right amount at this point. And then I'm trying other things, trying to produce a few things, trying to, uh, there's a TV show that I'm trying to sell. There's a TV show. My wife's trying to sell separately. Uh, sports shows kind of, but not They're They're scripted. They're not, uh, you know, trivia based shows or game shows. Right. So, yeah, no, I'm I'm content doing what I'm doing and lucky to do it all. And I think if, if I can diversify and do some things that don't put me in front of a camera and I can make decisions and, and do that role from my home in St. Louis or my home in wherever it is, Sweden. Uh, <laughs> You're then, looking at Sweden. Yeah.
0: Then I, then the I think I hear this. It.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Joe <laughs> Buck moving to Sweden. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll
0: live in the comment
1: section that day. Yes, Uh so I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm content, and I'm I'm signed for I don't know three or four more years, and then we'll see what happens after that. I, you know, I'm about to launch into the two a week with football, and
0: do you look? Do, is this
1: a good time of year
0: for you to go? Oh, honestly, 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 you
1: what know you what mean? I mean? Like, yeah, You have, you have, you have,
0: you have the, All the football, and then the baseball. Are you Oh, like, I love that. Do you, you do love it,
1: yeah. No. Honestly, because I, I think that's when I channel my dad the most because I saw how much he was doing, yeah. which is way more than I do, even at my most busy. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think I have a tendency to get lazy when I'm I'm not working and I haven't worked a whole lot over the last couple of months. What have you just
0: calling a baseball game and then the U.S. Here Open? Here and there, yeah.
1: yeah. I did a couple of baseball games, did the London Series, uh, did the U.S. Open, Done some speeches and some other things, but I, for the most part, I've just kind of sat around and thought about three putting. <laughs> so
0: I'm, I'm excited to go back. Stop thinking about three putting. No, it's always wonderful to have you in here. See, we went, we went what an hour and seven minutes, and you said we had nothing to talk about. Do I, should I apologize to the listeners? At no, this point? I, you always. We both, we both beat ourselves up over our. We were just sitting here bullshitting, but I legitimately. Yeah. I always like, I can't wait to hear what Joe has to say. And I had a feeling you were gonna be like, I can't believe the Cardinals didn't do anything at the trade deadline. That's what if I would have handicapped that, that was where I was where my action was going
1: to yeah, be. Yeah, I just think uh
0: there was too much noise
1: for them to not do. Like hmm. even if it was forced, I thought they would
0: do something. Yeah, sends a message. Even if it wasn't a great deal, I thought they would do something. Sends a message. Both yeah. uh, good and bad. All right, that's enough. Thank okay. you so much as always, sir. Thanks, Tim. There it is. Joe Buck here on the Tim McKernan Show. Gangster Pete, I'm going to call on you. What did you like or dislike most about the interview with Joe Buck? Because you had never met Joe before. And now you're email buddies. Uh, I love the interview. I thought it was really cool when he was talking about watching the Blues with his old man. Yeah, that's a nice play. How, uh that that's the one team that he can actually really be a fan of because he doesn't have any duties calling the NHL. And then also, I thought I was. I enjoyed the part about the club championship. Yeah, you know, and he's like, nobody's going to care about this. But I'm like, even if you don't care or don't even play, like to hear someone who seemingly has the world in his hands be that broken up about. And I get it, and I don't, and I cannot. I think we kind of did delve into like the psycho analysis of why guys care about something that true, like it's like one thing if we're like playing for any amount of money, like a, like a, like a, you know, I get that, but like these club championships, unless I'm off the mark on it, but I think they intentionally like make it for like a few hundred dollars of pro shop credit. So you're not playing for like, you know, people are like the old Warson club championship, but that pays like 10 grand or 20 grand or something. And I, you know, you might be surprised I'm not a member there, but I don't believe that's the case. I think as you get older, you have less and less competitive outlets. That's also. what I think it is. So, like when you're a kid, you play all these sports, you have all these chances yeah. to win stuff. Now that's like your chance to like prove yourself athletically against other guys. Yeah, and I mean for real. Like now, I've I I lost. I've never won, and I'm I'm not even in the top flight. Um, but I've lost this year. I was a little surprised. I actually lost just because I was my I was just in a, my handicap. I was like whatever, like the one or two seat in my flight. But again, it's not like it was the top flight. Um, But I played really well, like really well. And so I remember, n- I don't want to say I didn't care, but I kind of didn't care because I played well. But last year, I just played horribly. I think I think someone could even use the word choked if they would like, I would for something again, that didn't matter. So for, for the fact that you choke, it's like, what the hell? But, and then that bothered me. And I remember saying to my wife, I go, I got to tell you something. I'm really upset about this. And I don't know why. I'm sure some of you can relate to this, you know? Um, so what? I, where I can differentiate it, and maybe it sounds like this is where Joe is, although it was the club championship and you do probably, you probably had a couple hundred people watching, but if you play well and you lose, even though that sounds like, well, it's just an honor to be nominated. I didn't win the Academy award, but if you play well and lose, it still maybe might bother you that you didn't win, but it's like, you know, sometimes you just tip your cap, you know, if Clayton Kershaw shuts you out for eight innings and strikes out 13, you kind of go, well, I mean, that's, you know, he was on and what are we going to do? Um, but if you, you know, get carved up by Daniel Ponce de Leon and, and, you know, he shuts you out for ratings and strikes out 13, you know, you go, well, hold on a second. What did we do? So that's, that's kind of the, you know, but I guess it's a case by case. One of my partners we talk about on the radio show is Cletus and, uh, and you know, we lost our two man match, I don't know, a few months ago. And it was the weekend of the blues game six. And, I mean, we were on number 13, and it was clear we were going to be vanquished. Now we weren't vanquished yet. I think we got vanquished on 14. But uh, he goes, God, this sucks. And I go, what? And he goes, we're going to lose. And I go, man, I love it. It's like 75 degrees a Friday afternoon. The Blues playing for the Stanley Cup on Sunday, game six. I go, God, this is a great fucking day. And he's like, oh, he goes, this is going to ruin my weekend. I'm like, wow. You know, and we, and we did, we got, we just got, it was a cap tipper. Guy went off, birdie, birdie, birdie. What are you going to do? So you tip your cap. So I don't know now, but if, but if we're in a spot where it's like, we blew it, that would bother me, even though it doesn't change what the prize is. So that's where I am. Sounds like Joe's upset because he putted really poorly and he feels like he left it out there. And and then what you think is, this is what I think, and it's it, it, it's, it's a wonderful analogy because it's absolutely the same thing. It's what uh, I've made reference to Edmund saying as he was standing in center field or, you know, as it became clear, the Cardinals weren't going to beat the Red Sox in 2004. And he's going, oh my God, we have to now get through a hundred. We have to get through spring training, 162 games, win the division series and win the NLCS just to get back to this point. And so if you only play a handful of competitive rounds of golf, you have to wait just to get back to that point. And on top of it, the chances are not necessarily good. You know, just, just from a probability standpoint. And then if you're like, man, I played a role in me losing. That's where it can bother you. And it's a weird thing. It's a weird thing. I don't know how much competitive golf you've played, Gangster Pete. I know you're a hell of an athlete. It's flying under the radar, but I'm aware of it. I'm hip to this stuff. I mean, I, I, I have I have files on you. It's nice to be recognized. As a Dismet champion. Um, but it's a weird thing that you get this, like, feeling. And I don't even know how to describe the feeling because people have been there. I know they have it. And now, now that I've had it enough, I kind of recognize it. And I don't want to say I welcome it, but you recognize it and you just go, okay. You yeah, know, inhale, I, exhale. I've been in a couple do... of those situations, and then, like, a couple of years will pass that you haven't been one, and you start to really, like, want it more. Like, yeah, you really I, don't, I don't know what that is. Past is, it, is it mental? Is it adrenaline? I don't know what it is. Oh, it's definitely adrenaline. Is it like, adrenaline? They like get I jacked up, that... like, like, it's your Super Bowl, you know? It's but... such a weird thing. It's, I mean, and again, cause it, cause it, cause I'm telling you, I mean, I use, I use wives and girlfriends as the example of, they just can't possibly understand. And I and I have to tell you, I'm on their side, but you know, I mean, it's, it's like a running joke with my friends when we're playing in these things. We're like, Oh my God, this is like, like th- this, this weekend. Now this will be by the time this interview plays, it'll be in the past, but we have an event and for us, it's a big deal. And there is, you know, there's money on the line. So this isn't just like pro shop credit, but, uh. You know, it's a big deal for us. And in reality, she's like, oh, so is this going to be like when you play in the World Series of Poker main event and you won that. And I'm like, okay. Or when you like did the DraftKings rosters and you won that. I'm like, okay, can I see what you're doing here. Because of course, I never won those. Now, there is not a parallel between winning $10 million of the World Series of Poker or winning a million dollars in DraftKings or winning... But I said to her, I said... I, I, I can't defend it. I can't explain it, and I can't defend it. But it's obviously not unique to me. And here we have a guy who will be calling the World Series in a month and a half and uh, calling the Super Bowl. I don't know if it's a Fox year, but certainly one of the next three years. And he is two weeks removed from losing his club championship and broken up by it, which I completely understand. And maybe a handful of the audience is like, this is unbelievable that you guys are even spending time on this, but it kind of gives you a peek behind the curtain on the, the mindset on this stuff. And I, I, I can't, I really can't explain. I'm sure somebody's written an article about it or maybe even a book um, as to like the psychoanalysis of the whole thing, because it really, it truly, I mean, because usually the guys in these positions get to be good golfers because they either were growing up in a position where they were having access to golf courses or they had jobs where they had the ability to work on the game. You know, you aren't born a golfer. And so, therefore, you're in a position where you have some form of money, either inherited or you've earned it, and you, ha- therefore, have the time, and, therefore, winning a couple hundred dollars in pro shop credit is is irrelevant, and yet it can break people down. We heard that here on the podcast today. Um, now, outside of that, uh, I like the candor on the Cardinals. And I had a feeling he was going to do that as I said right when he said I was stunned. Um interestingly, I had no idea he played with Mickelson and Chipped In and uh and then running through the blues things. I know that was so important to him. We were uh I don't know if we got into the, the, when he texted me about what he just revealed was a hemorrhoid situation. Uh that was the night of game six of the blues and sharks. And we were texting that night. And I don't know, I don't know how the text started, but He's just like, there's no way they can win because it could never be this easy for the Blues. They'll probably lose and then win game seven. I'm like, yeah, I got this weird feeling on you know, that that exact thing. And we're talking about the Shark series, not the the Bruins series. But there it was. Then the Blues did go into that kind of mode for uh that just it shows how broken down the Sharks were by the time they got it for game six. But how he was watching with Brad Fax and um I was playing with the guy that I work with on my swing yesterday. And I said, so I interviewed uh, Joe Buck in the podcast and he he was saying, yeah, what happened? He lost this club championship, I understand, and had some putting issues. I said, yeah. And I said, guess who went to see about his putting? And he starts naming a few St. Louis guys. I go, no. I said, you got to go a little higher on the, the pyramid. And then he named like a couple of like well-known swing instructors. I go, no, higher. And he goes, I don't know. And I go, Brad Faxon, he goes, of course, why not? Like the guy, like him and Ben Crenshaw are considered like two of the greatest putters of the last 40 years. And and why not be able to work with Brad Faxon? So, um. anyway, I, I just, I could, you know, went home and told Anna Marie, uh, so yeah, had Joe on the podcast today. She's like, I love Joe. I just could sit and bullshit with Joe Buck for an hour and 10 minutes. And I get it that probably people are like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, it's Joe Buck. So you're in star fucker mode and you know, but, and I, I get it. Listen, he's the top broadcaster in the game or however you want to rank him, Top, top three or four for certain, even if you are one of those people who can't stand him for whatever reason. Um, but just, we just kind of have the same sense of humor and random, like to talk about random crap. And that's, that's exactly up my alley. So, uh, Grateful that he came in, enjoyed the conversation. Always feel like he kind of gets candid in here. And uh, even though I guess we only have two of these to go off of. But uh, anyway, I hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Thank you to Gangster Pete Niggy for producing it. Thank you to our sponsors, thehomeloneexpert.com, Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies. James Carlton, design air, heating and cooling online at designer service.com. The number one train dealer in the Midwest and Johnny Lindoff Chevrolet Chevy fine New roads for making it possible. And thank you to the listeners for making it possible. When I say this in sincerity, please subscribe to the podcast. It helps the business, uh, just, just by clicking subscribe. And then you're like, you know, if you don't want to listen, then you don't listen, but just subscribe it helps the cause, And if you could a review, cause we do, we have, you know, I'll, uh, I'll blow our own horn here. I mean, to, to do nearly two years of every week, really good guess is a tribute to uh, everybody working on this thing because that is not an easy thing to pull off. Um, me sitting around and doing questions from the audience, which I love doing, uh, and you can email your questions, any question, any feedback, McKernan at insidestl.com. Um, you know, I mean, that's just that's just me in the microphone, and I can do that Whenever. But getting these guests in here to come in, too, most of the time, that's not an easy accomplishment. And uh, I'm, I am proud of that because that, I, I know that that's not easy. And I tip my cap to Gangster Pete Nagy now, the Sea monster for the first uh, 10 months of it. And um, and grateful to the listeners who continue to subscribe and, and support the sponsors who make it possible. So hope you enjoyed the conversation with Joe Buck. For everyone on The Tim McKernan Show, I'm Tim McKernan. This has been another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios.